Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am super excited. We've been talking this whole month about some of the issues around going back to work as the pandemic starts to loosen its hold on our country and our world and we have our dogs to think about as we make that transition back to a pre-pandemic life. And they have enjoyed our time immensely, and we have enjoyed their company immensely. But there's some transition pieces that go with the dog having less of our undivided attention. And so I am being joined by Melina Demartini, who is a certified trainer and behavior consultant for the last 20 some odd years with an emphasis on separation anxiety. And so we're going to go there. We're going to talk about it. Welcome, Melinda. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. And this is a topic that I am just so passionate about. For a little over 20 years now, I've been specializing exclusively with separation-related problems. And boy, have we learned a lot, seen a lot. And are these just unprecedented times as we start to return to work and social life and other activities, school, School, all the stuff. And what are we going to tell our dogs? Exactly. Sorry, I got to go. You know, what's going to happen? Peace out. Yeah, peace out. So we're going to talk about optimizing our dogs for a long time. So hit it. Give us some ideas here. One of the important things that everybody has to remember and probably relates to, even though we haven't really thought about this much, it has been, what, 14 months, even a little longer than that now, that most of our dogs have barely been left alone or not been left alone at all. Some of these dogs were puppies or adult dogs were acquired while not, you know, being left alone because of pandemic times. And so... There are going to be sort of two distinct groups that emerge once we do start to return to life at large. One of them will be the dogs that are just sort of surprised and taken off guard. Like, what just happened here? I've been with you 24-7 for so long. And you just put on your business attire, grabbed your briefcase and walked out the door. And I'm still alone now three or four hours later. And I'm wondering what on earth just happened. And so it may be that that first group is a group that is generally has been in the past or are generally, you know, okay with being a left alone, but it's going to be such a sudden change potentially mm-hmm. that it'll be too startling for a lot of dogs. Now that doesn't mean that they will be experiencing separation anxiety. This is more along the lines of habituating or acclimating to the new norm. Yes. And I think we have to remember dogs don't do change that sudden change that well. Right. They need a little bit of a gradual introduction. And so that will be one group. Mm -hmm. 
I think the second group will probably see, will mostly be comprised of the newly acquired puppies and adult dogs that really have never been exposed to alone time. Mm -hmm. We don't actually know what the cause of separation anxiety is. There's a lot of information, tons of research. The most researched behavior issue in the past four decades above aggression is separation anxiety. So we got a ton of research. But at the end of the day, we don't know, is it genetics? Is it an environment? Is it a combination? You know, we just don't know. Right. And so what we'll potentially see is dogs that are experiencing tremendous distress when Mm -hmm. left alone for the first time or for the first few times. And I think it's those dogs, both groups, but those dogs that are going to take a lot more slow and systematic preparation to optimize them for that alone time success. Excellent. Okay. So Melina, let's break this down. Okay. Let's start with that first group you mentioned, the ones that are just startled and a little off guard by a change in routine, not drama manic, but just like what's going on. How do we set those dogs up for success? Yeah, I love this because I think there's going to be a big number of dogs in that basket. Mm Mm-hmm. Would you think the majority? I would think the majority. Your thoughts? You know, it's such a big question in my mind, to be honest with you. I will say that the research indicates thus far that it's not an attachment issue per se. And so we would think that the majority of the dogs would just be like, whoa, you flipped the table on me. What's happening here? And that we could help them relatively quickly. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we just don't know because there's such an unknown quantity with all the recent acquisitions of new dogs. So we don't know. So let's just talk about that first uh, basket of dogs that is going to be sort of surprised, maybe a little frustrated, maybe a little (laughs) worried or concerned about all these sudden changes. I think we have a tremendous opportunity right now because, you know, there's only about 28% of the workforce has returned to the workplace. And that's still a lot, but there's a lot of people that have not returned, at least on a full-time basis to the workplace, and it's going to be a slow rollout. And so the opportunity that we have now, while we're still mostly at home, is to associate our absences with something fun and exciting and wonderful. Positive. Positive. (laughs) And I think even more importantly, believe it or not, and some would disagree with me, but I think even more importantly is those first absences should be easy, easily achievable. So the first absence should not be, I'm at an eight hour day of work. That I think is probably the number one thing. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so as little as doing things right now, where you say, I'm going to drive to the pharmacy and pick up a prescription. I'll be gone for 15 or 20 minutes. And then giving that dog some fantabulous something or other, and not just fantastic, but novel, right? Novel is so important. And so they're like, wow, I love that she left. And even when I finished my fantabulous food scrumptious thing, suddenly she's back in 15 minutes or so. Ah, No big deal. And then we start to incrementally increase upon that duration. I think for these dogs that are in this basket, for the most part, they'll be like, I love that I get this wonderful food toy or whatever it is. 
and the absences are not scary or long. And then over the course of a little bit of time, depending on the dog, mm-hmm. we can work up to that four hours or more that they were acclimated to prior to our pandemic times. So I think that bucket's going to be a little easier. Yeah, I think that's the easy bucket. That's why I wanted to start with that one first. (laughs) So now let's talk about your second bucket, which is the probably newly acquired pet who has never experienced the concept of you going out of the house without them, for one thing. That's right. Because maybe you've walked them around the block or maybe you've taken them and you've been able to go to a park or something along those lines, but you have never actually left the house without the dog. That's right. So I think within this subset, we're going to have a couple of different groups, but I would say that the way that we start with any dog that we just don't know how they're going to react is by doing a very minimal duration, but doing an assessment of sorts. And what is so great, and I'll tell you, I've been doing this for 20 plus years, We did not have Zoom. We did not have standalone cameras. We did not have any of this stuff back when I started. So we're in a really nice position technologically now to be able to observe our dogs when they are alone. So set up a Zoom. There's also Skype, FaceTime, whatever. There's all sorts of ways to watch your dog. Leave for a few minutes the first time. But when I say a few minutes, I don't want to make that a hard and fast rule. The goal is to leave and observe the dog and very carefully observe that dog to see if maybe their initial reaction is to come to the door and whine a couple of times, but within a minute or two, they're like, oh, well, she's gone. I'm going to go lie down. There may be the other group that is going to start to whine and then that whining escalates to barking and that barking escalates to howling. And then we see pacing and panting and drooling and scratching at doors and rugs and all that sort of stuff. And there's actually no need to prolong this. Like if the dog appears to be experiencing distress, then we know our answer and we can stop the assessment. Okay. So to me, this seems really important, Melinda. How long are you going to give them to work it out for themselves before you say, okay, this is definitely a problem. Time. I know that's terrible. I know it's hard and fast and I know it's individual, but give me an idea. If my dog runs around in circles for 60 seconds, or if my dog runs around in circles for five minutes, talk to us about that. Yeah, I will give you a time frame, but let me caveat that a little bit by saying it will depend. <laughs> the dog trainer's favorite answer. It depends. Always. But it will depend on the level of distress you are seeing. Okay. So when I say, hey, you know, give them 5, 10, 15 minutes. And if they're just sort of whining and walking around and, you know, see if it escalates. And if it goes down, you're in good shape. But when I say, give them 5, 10, 15 minutes, and you see a dog screaming and drooling and running in all directions and jumping at windows and doors and stuff. It's time to stop. Okay. You know, there's a level of distress in these dogs that is, you can sort of tell, even for our novice guardians, I think you can sort of tell, like, this is not something that I want to let the dog continue to experience. This is far too filled with distress. And for those dogs, and even for those that can kind of prolong their absence, we do need to give them this 
metaphorical soft place to land. So we don't want to say, cry it out for the next hour and see how that goes. That has physiological and psychological implications that we just don't want to tread on. Mm -hmm. And the good news is the process remains the same generally with regard to how we work on it. It's just the increments of time that we can increase may be smaller for a dog that is experiencing higher levels of distress. Okay, good. So our new pet owner is looking at their dog on the camera and saying, I see distress and distress as defined by what you mentioned earlier. You go back and I've only been gone five minutes. Okay, I'm calling it done. Then what? Okay, next step. We're going to use five minutes Mm -hmm. as a Mm -hmm. roundabout example. Maybe appropriate for your dog, may not be. Mm -hmm. But let's just for sake of even numbers. Fives and tens, man. I think in fives and tens, it's okay. Okay. Totally get that. (laughs) So let's say, okay, I watched my dog for five minutes. My dog was super distressed within one minute and I waited it out and it kind of got worse, didn't get better, et cetera. So the first step here is let's determine what that dog can successfully handle. And in order to explain that, what we want to understand is that this is to us an incredibly irrational behavior. Like seriously, I go out and take the garbage out. I go out and get the mail. I do these things, you know, like I always come back. What on earth is wrong with you that you can't settle? But let's talk about that for just a second. This is a phobia. And by definition, phobias are irrational. And so it's irrational to the onlooker, but to the individual that's perceiving it, it is very, very real. Okay, good. And so I want to make that point. So we want to determine how do I make some semblance of an absence safe for this animal? When I say safe, that means that they are not experiencing overt distress. Mm -hmm. For some dogs, that may be a starting point of, I'm going to walk out the door, count one 1,000 and walk right back in. Give me a long road, dude. (laughs) I know. I talk to a lot of prospective clients and I always say, don't worry. It will be well before the year 2077 before we get your dog to be alone. Because people are like, wait, if I'm starting with one second, eight hours is a heck of a long time away. Right. Right. But what we need is to create the understanding in the animal that like, oh, well, gosh, one second. That was scary for a milli, milli, millisecond. And then she walked back in. Oh, no big deal. And then through a little bit of repetition, the dog goes, oh my gosh, my mom continues to walk out the door over and over. This is the stupidest game ever. I am so bored. And then that one second becomes 10 and 10 becomes a minute. You know, every timeline will be individualized. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing how the first few days or more of repetition of just milliseconds or a second is very tedious and very slow, but it starts to accelerate a little bit like compounding interest, which I'm kind of dating myself because nobody understands compound interest anymore, but or going viral, just going exponential, exponential. Absolutely. So 
That would be the place to start. And the important factor there is we are always watching the dog and making sure that the amount of duration that we are leaving them alone is going to be a successful amount of duration. So you're trying to stay under threshold is what you're saying. Stay under threshold. And the word threshold sometimes is confusing for people. And just as a really basic answer, we're staying under any panic point. Any panic point is what we're staying beneath. And it is an important addition to that. If today I was able to do one second or five seconds or whatever, I don't want to tomorrow do seven and then the next day do 10 and the next 20 and the next 30 and the next 50 and the next 80 because dogs are masters of discrimination and they will start to figure out this game gets harder every dang day. I don't like this game. And so we will give them sort of a randomized and variable level of duration. So some days we'll just make it easy. Okay. Easy win today, super easy win today. And some days will be harder. Okay. I like the randomization. I think that sounds really like a useful way for dogs' brains to work, right? (laughs) It really is. And it's important, you know, I mentioned, and I use that phrase a lot, dogs are masters of discrimination. They will figure out so many things because they don't rely on language like we do. Right. So they are observing 24-7. And they can figure out patterns so readily. They are pattern driven. So that's a really great point, Melinda, that I'd like to touch on if you would. So part of what cues our dogs that life is different is we've put on a different outfit. We've put on a different pair of shoes. We've packed a different set of things in our hands. Whatever it is like to go to the mailbox in my slippers If I suddenly am wearing pantyhose and high heels and carrying a big briefcase, that tells that dog a very different thing. Absolutely right. Here's something really funny. For the last at least 20 years, if not more, in this industry, the standard recommendation was called uncoupling departure cues. Yeah, right. And so people would say, before you do anything, before you walk out that door, before you touch that doorknob, Pick up your keys, put them down. Pick up your keys, put them down. Pick up your keys, put them down. Right. And then years ago, while practicing with many, 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 many dogs with separation anxiety, what I learned is that these, what we call pre-departure cues, Mm -hmm. but they are triggers of any sort. Mm -hmm. They are triggers because they predict something scary. Mm -hmm. If that something scary is no longer something scary, right? The pre-departure cues lose some of their saliency. I'm not going to say it goes away entirely, but they lose some of their salient power. So what we really recommend is that someone starts to build up. And I'm not saying you have to walk out of your house in your fuzzy slippers or whatever, but start to build up some duration without any pre-departure cues or many. Some people have to take a key because they'll get locked out of the door, but with minimal pre-departure cues. And so if we can teach the dog that, well, I'm just going to pick a random number, usually something around 30 seconds or a minute. If we can teach the dog that 30 seconds or 60 seconds of alone time is safe, nothing bad happens. She always comes back. It's no big deal. Mm -hmm. Then what we are able to do is say, now today, I'm going to pick up my briefcase and exit or whatever cue. 
The briefcase will initially make the dog go, oh, good Lord, this is the real thing. And so instead of doing that 30 to 60 seconds, we'll do 10. And then you come back in and the dog goes, well, I kind of expected it was going to be awful, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly the briefcase now in this instance predicts, oh, that safe thing that I've already learned is now the new thing that this is predicting. Right. Good. I like that. And I think that was an important piece to bring into that. Very. Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to continue to focus on our most challenged individuals. (laughs) the dogs that are struggling with 30 seconds outside the door and we've built it up now. And now it's the real thing. Like we got to go to work. Confining a dog for its safety within a certain space or anything along those lines. Talk about that with our owners. Yeah. And I want to make sure we dive a little deep on this. Mm -hmm. If there's some need for confinement, then the training has to start with the dog in the confinement. Good. This is the point I was kind of wanting to go with. Yeah, good. Yeah, first and foremost. So, you know, it's all well and good if you can walk out the door for 30 seconds, 10 minutes, an hour, and then you're like, now I have to really leave, so I'm going to put the dog behind this baby gate. Right. Total change of environment, and the dog will probably not be successful with that. So all of these steps leading up to teaching the dog that absences are safe, have to be done when the dog is in the environment with which he or she will be staying for the future. Now, the thing that's really important about this though, separation anxiety dogs have a very high propensity towards the comorbidity of confinement anxiety. Mm. And I think you and I talked a little bit about your history Mm -hmm. with, Oh yeah. Logan with Logan and like confinement was, just not going to happen for that dog. Nope. (laughs) But for him, confinement meant the house. I mean, any confinement that was not coupled with, and I'm 12 inches or less from your body. Right. right. So when I talk about separation anxiety, y'all just out there in listener land, trust me when I tell you, I've lived it. (laughs) She has. And I heard the story and she has got the empathy and compassion for all of you that might be experiencing this or me have to experience this in the future. I know that. But let's go back to that confinement discussion because one of the things that is really highly recommended is to use, whether it's a crate or baby gates or an X-Pen or some sort of confinement. And one of the main reasons that that is recommended for separation anxiety dogs is that many of them, not all, but many of them are destructive. Mm -hmm. And so the assumption there is, well, he might get into something And number one, you know, cause destruction in my home, which might be expensive. But, you know, more importantly, he might self-harm if he's trying Mm -hmm. to jump out a window or if he's trying Mm -hmm. to eat some, you know, I had a dog that pulled up carpet and, you know, those carpet tacks that are right along Mm -hmm. and just punctured his nose on a carpet tack. I have a story on this that is too horrible to tell on air. Truly, we can't talk about. So self-harm really is a legitimate concern. Talk to us about it. Here's what's so important to understand when you are working on a protocol to help a dog with separation anxiety, we talked about threshold, or as I mentioned, panic point. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is that as you increase duration from that, let's say one seconds to 30 to five minutes to an hour, et cetera, the dog 
continues to remain beneath that panic point. And if they remain beneath that panic point, there is no destruction. There is no vocalization. There is no urination, defecation, right, et cetera, so salivation, blah, 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 all that stuff, because they are not in distress. And it's the distress that produces that outward manifestation. Mm-hmm. And so many people are so worried about the outward manifestation that they're like, we got to use a creator. We got to use this. We got to use it. But quite frankly, it's the underlying issue. It's the underlying anxiety, not the outward manifestation that is Mm -hmm. so important. So if we stay beneath that threshold, as we move forward with our protocol, we're not going to have these risks that we are always thinking that are going to be such a big concern. Right. And so let's, in our final moments here, talk through, I want to make sure that people, it's actually kind of going back to the beginning the differentiation between the two buckets. Let's talk about what is this phobia and help our listeners understand the difference between a dog that's just startled and a dog that truly has a phobia because how we treat them and how we act is going to be different. I agree. And I think that this can be a bit nuanced. Yes. And that's why I wanted, you're the perfect person to do it because nobody gets it better. I think there is a little bit of a crossover between those two buckets. And what I mean by that is the average dog guardian is going to look and say, well, but my dog whined, so they must be upset. This is where I'm wanting to get our clarification. The owner's like, no, He's definitely traumatized, and I know this because he whined. Correct. And I'm using whining as an example. It could be just about any indication or behavior. But I will tell you, human beings are very conditioned to vocalization upsetting us. Yes. Whether it's a whine, a howl, a bark, whatever. We are very auditory that way. Mm -hmm. And so I want people to know that there are a lot of dogs, my own dog included, by the way, that they just don't love being left alone. They are social beings. They want to hang out with us. They want to enjoy time snuggling, et cetera. And so while of course our goal is to get them to the point that they're like, I love being alone. For a lot of dogs, that is a mildly unrealistic goal. Mm -hmm. But experiencing distress It's far different than being like, I'm so bummed because I didn't get to go with mom today. Yes. That point right there, I think is important. Important. And the difficulty is how do we discern between the two? And I don't know how many minutes we have left, but I'll give you just one quick thought on that. a minute. Go ahead. What I typically do is ask anybody and everybody to take a baseline of their dog's behavior. So if you are home and you're sitting on the couch eating popcorn, watching a movie, what is your dog typically doing? Hip rolled to one side, head down, super relaxed. That baseline is not what we necessarily will expect when the dog is alone, but we want to see how truly divergent that baseline is from alone time behavior. If the dog, instead of rolling hip to one side and head down, is sort of sitting up and looking out the window, overall just isn't happy about it, but is not distressed. Sucks, but we can work on that. And over time, we can create really positive associations and we can help the dog. 
mm-hmm. without having to go through some, you know, really detailed second by second type of separation anxiety protocol. If the dog is experiencing true distress, particularly compared to that baseline, that is a welfare issue. Mm-hmm. And these dogs that experience immense distress oftentimes have not only psychological implications where that anxiety starts to bleed out into other areas of their lives, sound sensitivity, et cetera, but they also tend to have physiological complications with everything from gastrointestinal to skin issues to all sorts of things. And so it is really like full stop. This is a welfare issue. Time to address it. Right. That's excellent. And that's what I really wanted people to understand is the distinction. And not every dog that's crying because you went to work is actually suffering separation anxiety. That's correct. Our goal is to be our dog's best friend and helping people understand what needs to happen with each individual dog is why we're here. Indeed it is. Excellent. Thank you so much, Melina. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun and I hope it was useful. And I do want to just take one second and mention for anybody that is experiencing concern, it doesn't necessarily have to be separation anxiety, but you just don't know yet, or you don't quite know what direction to go. We have a self-paced online course. It's called Mission Possible, not Mission Impossible, Mission Possible. And you can do that on my website. I've also created a discount code for $20 off the $99 retail price. For those of you that are listening to today's podcast, the code is GOODDOG, G-O-O-D-D-O-G, not cap sensitive. So however you put it in, that's fine. And feel free to peruse that course. I go in every single day and answer all comments and questions. So you are not alone in the program. Excellent. That is amazing. And we will have a link to Melinda's website in our blog post that goes with the podcast. Sounds great. Thank you, Laura. Thanks so much, Melina. Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com slash join. That is g-o-o-d-d-o-g dot com slash join. Or click the link in the show notes.